Welcome back to the Two Guys, One Plant podcast, your weekly podcast where we deep dive into a different vegetable and plant each week and we talk about the history, nutrition, medicinal uses, we talk about how to grow it and we also talk about how to cook it to maintain the best nutrients from it and also get those beautiful flavor profiles. Now, my name's Simon Hall and my gorgeous co-host... <laughs> It's uh, Timothy Aikerman. How uh, you doing, mate? Cause you're gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> hello, 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 hello. It's good to see you again, mate. You too, mate. You too. Mm. Yeah, another another episode. Yes, it's a special episode this week. Yeah, this one's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Not what do we got going on? Be good. <laughs> yeah. No, this one's this, this one's, one's got good. a difference. Got a little difference, hey. I know. Yep. We were lucky enough to talk with uh, Sean Quaid of Grounded Foods this week about uh, cauliflower. Yeah. So he had a uh, really interesting, um, different approach to cauliflower. Uh, yeah. So it's, it'll be exciting to discuss that. Absolutely. Yeah. So just that for people who don't know who Sean is and who Grounded Foods are, Grounded Foods is a plant-based cheese company uh, based in LA. Now, we're going to get into more details with him, but Sean uh, manages to make delicious, creamy cheese out of vegetables and out of cauliflower is one of the main vegetables that he uses. And yeah, uh, yeah quite like impressive, you said, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but when you... When you sit back and you just go, like you see a cauliflower on the shelf at a, a supermarket or a grocer or wherever you're getting it from, I don't know how you go from that to I've made a beautiful brie or a camembert from cauliflower. I know, right? I was I was looking up uh, some of his stuff this week and I found a picture that had um, like a, a brie and mm-hmm. like a, a cheddar type type round yes. as well, and then a little yeah. jar of feta, like yeah. a marinated feta. Yeah. And the caption of the photo said, "A week ago, this was cauliflower." Mm. Like it just—I don't know how he does it. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a a patented process, so no, yeah. he didn't tell us how he does it. <laughs> but uh, it is very similar to a standard cheese making process. Yeah. But it's 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 really fascinating, and you know we're really lucky to have the chance to speak to him. And you'll hear that interview today in the podcast straight after we finish doing uh, nutrition, uh, and it'll lead straight into that. So I guess without further ado, we won't uh, muck around too much. Shall we talk weird facts about cauliflower? Because yeah, I've got cause... some doozies. Oh, do you? Hey, good. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're talking about cauliflower. I don't know if we actually introed that we were doing cauliflower. Yeah. Well, if I didn't, I think people got the gist of it. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Again, they probably read the title. Um, okay. <laughs> All right, mate. So maybe you should hit us with the first fact. Oh, do you want me to go first? Okay. Yeah, I reckon. All right. So did you know that the cauliflower is – kind of like a shrinking plant right it doesn't do well under spotlight so the head of the cauliflower is actually an undeveloped flower mm-hmm. now we know this is uh from the episode of broccoli where we spoke about 
the head of a broccoli is actually a whole bunch of flowers that are ready to bloom. Yep. Uh, well, it's exactly the same as a cauliflower. Yeah, it's cool, right? Because they're they're actually part of the same family. Yep. That's right. Yeah, now, I'm going to talk about that in the history. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose the, the biggest part of this is that the sunlight stimulates production of chlorophyll. Um, and with that, the flowers actually on a cauliflower become inedible if you leave it too long. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. How about that? Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah. It's weird, though, because when I look at a head of broccoli, I can see that there are little buds there. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can see it and I go, okay, yeah, it looks like a whole bunch of little flowers that are ready to go. But when I look at a cauliflower, I do not get that vibe. I, I was reading a research paper um, for the history and they were going into genetics and how it all works and, you know, mm. kind of started to turn into double Dutch, but they were talking about um, the very specific difference between broccoli and cauliflower because broccoli has a, a fully formed bud, whereas a cauliflower, it's not quite fully formed. It's this, There's a subtle difference. I kind of glazed over it because it wasn't really pertinent to the history. So I, I can't mm. tell you what that difference is, but there's a whole science paper on it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good to know. Yep. I will not read that. Mm. <laughs> but if somebody else wants to read it, let me know. It stopped making sense to me about four pages in. Fair enough. <laughs> um, okay. My facts, I'm going to start with uh, some pretty – kind of basic you probably already knew to again like you i've got mm-hmm. a really a really cool fact to finish okay, on. okay so um and you probably knew this and I, actually sean kind of talks about it as well in the interview but uh, the stems and the leaves are in fact edible on a cauliflower mm. so i don't know about you but i always cut them off and get rid of them yeah i do every single time yeah because they look not right correct I don't know why they don't look right. We eat the leaves off of every, literally everything else. Oh, I mean, spinach or whatever. You're you're literally eating the leaves. So yeah. what's the difference? Yeah. But even broccoli. Yeah. It's the same family. Yep. Now with a cauliflower, I cut the stem out and I get rid of it. But with a broccoli, I cut the stem up and I eat that. Same. Yeah. So I don't know why in my head the cauliflower stem is any less important or the leaves there are less important than what there's on broccoli. Yeah, I go to great lengths to make sure I cut the cut the stem out. Yeah, yeah. you core the whole thing yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. There's actually, on that note, there's a place down the road from us called Hotbird. It's like a, like a charcoal grill place mm-hmm. and they do whole heads of cauliflower, like roasted, that nice. you can pick up. Nice. Yeah, and I think they're only like fifteen bucks or something like that. Anyway, uh, they they are amazing and they taste superb. Yeah. But he leaves the leaves on the down the bottom. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's yeah. got the stalk that comes out, and there's like about four or five leaves that are there. But they're you know they've been roasted over charcoal, so they're a bit yeah. crispy. But they are delicious. Yeah. Right. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. My turn. Yep. So, did you know that there is a green variety of cauliflower? Is this your fact? Uh, my fact is there's actually four different colors, but yeah. Yes. Well, I'm just going to talk about the green one. So, you can okay. talk about the different yeah. other colors. So, the green variety of cauliflower is also known as a brocco flower. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Now, the weird thing about this one is that it grows in a fractal pattern. 
Yeah. So basically it's duplicating and repeating itself and it actually like forms in little cone shapes all mm-hmm. over it. So it looks like a little spiral cone shaped kind of uh, cauliflower. Mm-hmm. Have you you've seen pictures of it? I can tell by your face you've seen pictures of it. It's, this is part of my last fact. <laughs> oh, son of a okay. Sorry. That's all right. I'll I'll expand on it if you if you don't cover everything that I'm going. No, cover. I'm going to yeah. stop right there. So I'll let you expand on it. Do you want to expand on it now? Yeah. All right. So yeah, on the on the fractal <laughs> the fractal pattern. So mathematicians noticed the distinct fractal dimension, and yeah. one of the fractal properties of cauliflower is that every branch or module is similar to the entire cauliflower so each little one so you in your little florets if you look at it it looks almost like the same one so it's kind of like you're looking down a microscope at the same thing again oh my gosh that's and so yeah and this quality presents in other plants as well but um they've also found that the angle between the modules as they become more distant from the center is uh, 360 degrees divided by the golden ratio, which is 1.61 something or other. So it's kind of like the Fibonacci sequence thing. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like that. I yeah. like that a lot. Mm. Yeah, I, I just got really I like I got I got all excited when I saw one because mm. they look amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll chuck a. I'll chuck a picture up on the Instagram account this nice. week yeah. of it so people can see what we're actually talking about. But, yeah, I really love that. That was really cool. So, so did do you, you have another? Well, yeah, I was going to say, do you have anything else to add to that? or No, but I've got another fact. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'll go. You, you were talking about the green cauliflower. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really just going to say that there's actually more than just white and green. You can also get orange and purple, and some people call it brown, but it's kind of like, the white that the white ones if they get too much sunlight they go yellowy browny yes yeah. they do i talk a yeah. bit about that in uh the growing part today. nice nice yeah yeah so nice. yeah you can get m- multiple colors which is good mm. all right you ready for this one yep so the head of an average size cauliflower weighs about one pound mm-hmm. okay which is about what's one pound uh, uh, is it two two point two kilos or something Approximately, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is pretty big enough. But now, do you remember in the onion episode when I spoke about the guy who broke the world record for the onion? Yeah, I can't remember what size it was though. Yeah, so his name was Peter Glazebrook. Yeah, and the onion that he did, uh, that he grew, was eighteen pounds. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, okay, which is about. 35 oh, kilos or something? No. No, 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 no. Lower than that. 18 pounds is about mm, about seven or eight kilos. Does yes. It right? If it's 2.2 kilos to the pound. Hey. No, it's the other way. It was 18 kilos. No, no, no. Pounds are more. So actually one pound should be less. It should be about 500 grams. Yes, you're right. It's 2.2 pounds to the kilo. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So we we were almost there, man. We were 18 pounds, (laughs) 8.16 kilos. Yes. Okay. So I was pretty close with my little thing there. Yeah. So he grew the heaviest onion for about eight kilos. Now, he's actually recorded for growing the biggest cauliflower as well. Yeah. What is it? You ready for this? Yeah. (laughs) 
It was six feet wide. Jesus. And 60 pounds, which is about 28 kilos. Yeah, 27 and a quarter. Yep. Yeah. Jesus. A 28 kilo cauliflower. Can you believe that? No. Nah. Crazy, huh? I wonder uh, if it was edible. I'm sure it was. He actually holds the world record for longest beetroot, Jeez. 21 feet, longest parsnip, 19 feet, the onion, and the heaviest potato. What does he feed his crops? I don't know, mate, but uh, it's working. I'll tell you that much. Mm. It's working real well. Wow. Amazing. Cr- crazy, huh? Yeah, it is. I, I can't even fathom how big that is. I have to see a photo of him standing beside it or something. I've got a photo of him with the onion. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. Did his onion have 13 layers? <laughs> yes, it was perfect. Nice. <laughs> All right, my, I'm going to move on to my last fact. Yep. Um, so if you cook your cauliflower for 30 minutes or more, or basically more than 30 minutes, you decrease the health benefits uh, by up to 75%. Mm. Yep. Which is, I mean, not ideal. No, absolutely not. And you'll know that it's not ideal even more once I've finished talking about the nutrition. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, nutrition's quite uh, quite crazy. It's yeah, because really cool. I really I really don't have any idea about nutrition of cauliflower. No, I don't yeah. think anybody's and ever – I've never yeah. been taught anything about it. No, neither have I. And when I look at a cauliflower, I think it's kind of natural when you look at uh, a cauliflower. I kind of relate it to a potato as well when like – a white potato, a white cauliflower, it doesn't look like it's got a lot of nutrients in it. Mm. Like it doesn't – like we we obviously know that nutrients are from color in yeah. a lot of vegetables. Like the green is – we know that that's yeah. really healthy for you. You know, the, the orange in carrots are from the beta carotene. And, you know, yeah. there's, so there's lots of things that, you know, it's color that actually promotes what we believe is healthy. Yeah, I, and I feel like I got taught um, that anything white was mm. kind of nutrient empty and just full of starch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I'll blow your mind on that one. Don't you worry. It's going to be good today. Awesome. Mm. Right. Shall we move on to the history then? Yeah, you, you finished. Yep. I'm all done, mate. Sweet. Let's do it. So um, history of the cauliflower, right? So history history here is a little bit different to a lot of the stuff we've covered, kind of similar to broccoli, and that is because broccoli and cauliflower are in the same category, so the, the brassica family, mm. uh, and they, they have uh, relatives like Brussels sprouts, cabbage, collard greens, and kale, and there's a few other things as well, but they all kind of are from this same family. And interestingly, this family... Was it will they kind of call it coal? So the coal family, C O L E, and it's thought that the name cauliflower derived from a term that was called cauliflori, or coal and then flory, which combines the word coal and flower. So you kind of, you know, kale uh, cauliflower is part of the coal family, and you know that's kind of how the naming came about, right? That makes sense to me. Yeah, you know, roundabouts kind of way. There were a couple of different different um, kind of spins on the naming, but they're all fairly similar where it's 
combines coal and flour or cabbage flour, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because cabbage, yeah, cabbage is part of that same family. Um, But but all of all of those plants, so the the Brussels sprouts, the kale, the collard greens, the cabbage, the cauliflower, broccoli, everything, they were all domesticated from one species. And I, I'm pretty sure we covered this in broccoli, but it was from the wild cabbage. They yeah, okay. all descend from the wild cabbage, um, and which is the it's called Brassica oleracea. And this wild cabbage is native to the coastal cliffs of uh, the northern Mediterranean region and kind of Western Europe. From you know, sort of Greece, uh, Greece, Greece to the British Isles. <laughs> from Greece, <laughs> the British Isles. <laughs> uh, nice little slip. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but when it when it comes to um, cauliflower, it, it's not widely known about when it came to existence and sort mm. of when that started to happen. But the the wild the wild cabbage, um, it they're saying that there's probably at least four thousand years ago is when it kind of started to exist in that region. Yep. And then uh, of this, we've we've spoken about uh, Theophrastus before in his writings. He distinguished three different types that are descendant from the, this wild cabbage. And uh, Pliny the Elder, he lists in his uh, uh, history naturalis, he lists six, and then uh, turn for further, he lists 20, and then D. Candonell in 1821 lists more than 30 different types that have all originated from the wild cabbage. Okay. Yeah. So, so you can um, see it kind of expanded over time. Yeah, that's right. And different species Multiple different things yeah. started to emerge. And, you know, I mean, we're even seeing them these days. Those kaolettes that I was telling yep. you about, which is a combination of kale and Brussels sprouts. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you can get all these different crossbreeds particularly within the same family. And it was really interesting when I was reading about the wild cabbage and there was one journal where they they kind of show you or it's a sketch of the wild cabbage and it's it's fully fully developed. It's quite tall um, and they show you the leaves and then the stem and, and then it actually breaks down which parts develop or un- overdevelop or underdevelop for each plant. So you can kind of see where they oh. come from out of the wild cabbage and which bits have selected and... Yeah, it was quite wow. interesting because this that's wild cabbage cool. is kind of a mix mash of all of them. Yeah. yeah. Wow, um, that's cool. Yeah, it is. It was uh, it was really interesting. But um, in the first century AD, Pliny, he included in what he called, uh, he, he called it Cyma among his descriptions of cultivated plants. Cyma spelled C-Y-M-A. I don't know mm-hmm. if that pronunciation's right. Um, in his History Naturalis and it, the cyma the, of all varieties of cabbage was the most pleasant tasting. This is what this is a direct quote from him. So Pliny's description, they say, likely refers to the flowering heads of an earlier kind of cultivated variety of this brassica, which is the wild cabbage. But um, people say that it, it his description most closely resembles the cauliflower. Wow. So yeah, it kind of starts to reference it around the first century AD, and that's really the first, the first kind of um, recorded uh, documentation of what people think is the modern cauliflower. Mm. So you're looking at first century AD. So in relative terms, it's pretty young uh, yeah. compared to a lot of other stuff that we've spoken about. So there's not a lot before that, and you know, without going any further, if because we've done this, you know, what are we on episode eighteen? 
We've mm. done this a lot of times now where based on the age, you kind of know roughly how it's going to fit into civilization. If it existed mm-hmm. from basically from the dawn of man, then it, it weaves its way into the fabric of life and yes. symbolism and, you know, they, they develop beliefs about it. But when it kind of comes into existence later, it's really just a food and, um, yeah. you know, there's not a lot of documentation done about it. But, no. you know, we've got, we've got enough here to, to cover off uh, some interesting things. Um, so, yeah, roughly around the Middle Ages, uh, early forms of cauliflower were associated with the islands of Cyprus. And Cyprus is really, um, of all the reading I did, Cyprus is the origin of the modern cauliflower. That's kind of the, the accepted region that where the cauliflower came from is Cyprus. Uh, and in the 12th and 13th century, uh, there was a pair of Arab botanists, uh, they they basically claimed that they wrote a, a, a scientific document and claimed that this was uh, this was the origin of the cauliflower. Mm. Reading different things now, everyone kind of it's that region somewhere in there. Um, yeah, so th- this association kind of continued into Western Europe, where cauliflowers were sometimes referred to as Cyprus colwort. So there's that uh, term mm-hmm. again, coal. So the Cyprus colwort. Uh, and there was extensive trade in uh, Western Europe in cauliflower seeds from Cyprus, and under the French, uh, the French rulers of the island, kind of well into the 16th century. So, we're really, you know, it took a long time for cauliflower to spread anywhere. It really, you know, mm. because people didn't hold special beliefs or healing properties and that sort of thing. It, it unless somebody specifically took it somewhere, uh, traders yeah. weren't weren't picking it up and taking it with them. And so it yeah. took a long time. We're going from first century AD to 16th century before it really started to spread into to Europe. So it's like, yeah. wow, that's a long time. A long, long time. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. So they were, they were relatively unknown in the early middle ages. And yeah, like I said, introduced to Europe from the Levant, which is Cyprus and the middle East kind of area. And, um, from this time, cultivation gradually extended throughout Europe and in, in England, especially the cauliflower uh, as well as the broccoli became a popular garden vegetable. Uh, Philip Miller in his Gardener's Dictionary, which was published in 1741, he he gave quite a, a lengthy description about uh, the method to grow a cauliflower. But um, And you will – I won't go into too much detail, but they talk about how hard it is to grow – Mm. And uh, he says that cauliflowers have of late years been so far improved in England as to far exceed in goodness and magnitude what are produced in most parts of Europe. So he's talking about how they they kind of improved it. Mm. And uh, prior to the French Revolution, which is about 1778, cauliflower had come to be largely exported uh, from England into Holland, Germany and France. But after this... Uh, after this French Revolution, they kind of all started to grow up themselves rather than buy it from England. So it really, really started to spread further again. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and they, they, they can, they've kind of tested now that uh, all cultivated cauliflowers can, can be traced back to that one original mutation that happened. And mm. uh, uh, broccoli is kind of the closest relative to the cauliflower, which, you know, we discussed a bit earlier before. 
Yeah. And so in France, in the 16th century, uh, they're featured in, and my French pronunciation is horrible, but in Olivier de Serres' Theatre de l'Agriculture. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And <clears throat> you didn't let me finish. Le bad. Le, le bad. Pepe le pew. <laughs> uh, so it was featured as Colle Fiori, as the Italians call it. And at this time they were still kind of rare, but uh, they they had an honorable, honorable place in the garden because of their delicacy, but really didn't commonly appear on grand tables. This is in French, in French, mm. in France. Until the time of Louis, Louis King Louis the Fourteenth, and uh, he was a big fan of the cauliflower and really kind of raised its stature. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of these, um, the younger vegetables that we talk about, it's taken one person who's really loved it, yeah, and has pushed it on people that kind of made it what it is today. Yeah, well, I mean that's. olden day marketing right like now yeah. we we have influences that push products on people yeah well you're royalty or whatever they they were the influences they kind of yeah. this is what you do yeah absolutely well we yep. talked about it for the orange carrots yes yep. and we spoke about it with um oh, what was the other thing that someone pushed really hard well oranges were pushed hard by the the american government but uh I think it was one of the Louis had the 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 garden with a thousand orange plants in a thousand silver. Yes, yeah. yes. It was one of the Louis, I think. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. See, I feel like you know one of them loved it enough that it pushed it into what it yep. is. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's basically what he did. You know, they mm. they wasn't really um, revered and well, not revered, but. Is considered a delicacy or good enough to serve on a, a royal dinner plate. Do you know what I mean? Mm, Until yeah. Louis Louis the Fourteenth, yeah, he he quite liked it, right? Mm. Yeah. So then um, you've got the the British introduced cauliflower to India in 1822. So you got the British colonization of India, mm-hmm. and um, it was found in North America, kind of around around the end of the 1600s. And there's a uh, recipe books started to appear from the 18th century that suggested, and this is in North America, suggested uh, at that time period people enjoyed boiling, frying, and stewing cauliflower. Um, but if, funnily enough, nowadays the U.S. is actually the third largest producer of cauliflower in the world. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, roughly around the 19th century in the U.S., they boiled cauliflower and milk uh, to kind of, um, make the flavor a little bit more mild. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I skipped over accidentally the, the intro when they was introduced to India in 1822, it was a bloke called Dr. Jemson and the imported seeds were kind of tested in different parts of India. But, uh, the, what they did was plant it in the same, um, the same months of the year that, that would have done in, in, the UK mm-hmm. and it didn't quite work so well, but what they did was kind of select the ones that that did okay because they had a bunch of different kind of varieties and that sort of thing. And they 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 started to selectively breed, and then uh, they kind of changed changed the way they they planted in the seasonal, you know, adjusted for seasonal and climatic conditions. 
and uh, they actually d- ended up developing an entirely new cauliflower that's now now called the Indian cauliflower. Wow. So they kind of they kind of just yeah created a new breed that became known as the Indian cauliflower. That's cool. But uh, the the very first cauliflower cookbook was published by Arthur A. Crozier in 1891, and since then it it kind of started to build in popularity uh, across many different varieties of dishes and that sort of thing. Mm. But really, mate, that is the basic history of the cauliflower. Wow. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Uh, quick, but cool. Very quick. Let's talk nutrition of the cauliflower. Nice. Now, the nutrition profile of the cauliflower is actually pretty impressive. Cool. Not not a nothing, zero nutrient, white, starchy vegetable. That's what it I wanted to that. hear. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually one of those really unique vegetables that's very low in calories but extremely high in vitamins and minerals. Well, on your, on your calorie statement, when yep. I was looking for facts, I mm. found one, and I should have put it in, I found one that said 10 heads of cauliflower mm-hmm. has the same amount of calories as one muffin. Oh, my. So when you say it's not high in calories, I mean 10 no, of those no. heads. And they're like what? How many a kilo? What did you say? How many pounds? Oh, they're about 400 grams, 500 yeah. grams. That's a half yeah. a kilo. So mm. 10 of those, So five you're talking kilos. about five kilos of it is the same as a muffin. And a muffin's probably 100 grams or less. That's crazy, yeah. isn't it? So, so much sugar, yeah. man. Not, 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 not very calorie dense. Yep. Well, let me talk to you about what the cauliflower has. Cool. Because it basically contains pretty much every vitamin and mineral that you need. Wow. Yeah. Now, that's a statement. Yeah. Yeah. So... Let's talk overview. We usually go about 100 grams, but we're going yep. to talk about one cup of cauliflower. Yep. Now, one cup of cauliflower is about 128 grams, and we're talking raw cauliflower. So you're looking at a cup of cauliflower is 25 grams. I mean, 25 calories. Wow. Okay. Yep. It's virtually nothing. Mm. Yeah. It, in that 25 calories, it contains three grams of fiber. Mm-hmm. Contains seventy-seven percent of your recommended daily intake of vitamin C. Mm. So that's more than an orange. Yeah, it has twenty percent of your recommended daily intake of vitamin K. Yep. Now we've spoken about vitamin K many, many times. Uh, vitamin B six, eleven percent of your daily intake. Folate, fourteen percent of your daily intake. Panthosthenic acid. Uh, 7% of your daily intake, potassium, 9% of your daily intake, manganese, 8% of your daily intake, magnesium, 4% of your daily intake, and phosphorus, 4% of your daily intake. Holy Jesus. That is amazing. One cup of raw cauliflower. That's incredible. So uh, to put that in perspective, a banana – a, mm-hmm. a whole banana is 10% of your potassium daily intake. So this is 9%. So it's very similar to banana for potassium. Correct. And you're yeah. not getting all these the other sugar. vitamins yeah. and minerals. Well, uh, just think about all the other things. Now we, we've spoke about manganese. Well, you spoke very eloquently about manganese last week in our episode on fennel. Yep. 
and went through that. And we talked about how amazing manganese is for the body. Mm-hmm. And this has got 8% of your daily intake in one cup of cauliflower. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, vitamin K, we spoke about in parsley. So if you yes, want to learn more about vitamin K. Yeah. You certainly did. Um, and 20% of your daily intake there. Yeah. Now, I know we've spoken about this before. Um, there will be many episodes where we talk about vitamin K in detail, manganese in detail, magnesium in detail, so that you can just flip over to one of those little mini episodes and, and get a little bit of knowledge about them. They'll be coming out really soon. Uh, but let's get back to cauliflower. So cauliflower actually ranks among the top 25 powerhouse fruits and vegetables in the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, you know, CDC over in America, their aggregate nutrient density index. So basically, they rank foods based on the nutrient content per calorie. Yeah. So have, yeah. Have, do you, without putting you on spot, do you have examples of other foods on that list or not? Yes, I do. I'm just interested uh, at what else is kind of around it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So – Cauliflower is in the top 25, mm. but next to it, you've got other ones like broccoli's in there as well. Mm. Um, kale is in there, red pepper, uh, ar- aragula, aragula. Mm-hmm. Um, collard greens in there, parsley is in there. Parsley is actually quite so high. So I'm, I'm hearing a lot of the brassica, so all of those. So mm-hmm. yeah, kale, broccoli, ca- well, uh, cauliflower. Right up the very top of this list, you've got Chinese cabbage. Oh, uh, yeah which gets a score, a nutrient density score of 91. So they score these all out of 100. Yep. Watercress, 100. Did not know that. Well, save save that episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Talking about beet greens, spinach. uh, And there's quite a dramatic drop-off, though, between like the 86 scores down to like the 30 and the 25s. But. Still, Brussels sprouts are in there. Nice. You're talking about the brassicas, right? Yeah. In the top 25, you've got Chinese cabbage, you've got uh, you've got collard greens, you've mm-hmm. got turnip green, mustard green, you've got kale, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi, cauliflower, cabbage. It's all of them. Yeah, they're all in the top 25, mm-hmm. and Far that's out. based on nutrient density. Yeah. All right, so you know the lower calories you have, the most nutrients that you're going to get from those particular calories. Yep. So that's really cool. really cool. Yeah. So I had cauliflower for dinner tonight. Did you? Yeah. Wow. There you go, mate. <laughs> you can tell us how about you cook that in, in when you get to your section on cooking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk about fiber. All right. Mm-hmm. So, as I mentioned before, cauliflower is quite high in fiber relative to the amount that you actually consume. So one cup gets you three grams, which is about 10% of your daily dose of fiber. Now we've spoken about quite, you know, fiber quite a lot. uh, And it's really important uh, for your body because it feeds your healthy bacteria uh, in your gut and it helps to reduce inflammation. It also promotes digestive health. So it's actually a really important part of vegetables and fruits is to and that's why we always talk about eating a vegetable whole uh, gives you the fiber content that you need from it as well. I mean, it's mm. not always bad to juice things. You're still getting lots of the antioxidants. You're still getting lots of the vitamins from it and minerals, but you're losing out on fiber. Yeah. I mean, if you if you knew your diet, diet was 
you were getting your daily fiber needs, mm-hmm. you know, no problem with juicing something up for yeah. extra nutrient. It's almost Absolutely. like taking a multivitamin tablet. You're just juicing up and, yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's talk about antioxidant power. Mm. Okay. So uh, vitamin C and vitamin K and manganese. So, again, we spoke about manganese more in the fennel episode. Uh, these are antioxidants that kind of neutralize free radicals. Um, and free radicals, uh, they cause damage to healthy cells. That actually contributes to disease and heart disease, cancer, all those sorts of things. Uh, cauliflower is particularly high in glucosinolates, all right, and isothiocyanates, which is two groups of antioxidants that I pronounced perfectly. You did, man. That was really good. <laughs> and we've we've never spoken about these before, so this is no. particularly interesting. Yes. Yep. What you wait till we get into these. These are nice. good. So, in test tube studies, glucosinolates and isothiocyanates have been shown to be especially protective against colon, lung, breast, and prostate cancer. Wow. So, what happens is these glucosinolates, they're broken down into compounds called metabolites. So, metabolites are naturally occurring substances that regulate your metabolism and they actually trigger an enzymatic reaction to protect your cells. So there's a bit of evidence that's gone behind uh, glucosinolates. So in 2009, uh, there was an analysis uh, coordinated by the National Cancer Institute in America and they reviewed 31 epidemiological studies into the association between cruciferous vegetables so um, yep. we're talking about cruciferous here. Yep. Yep. Uh, the vegetable intake and lung cancer. And what they concluded was that a high intake may decrease your risk from anywhere between 17 and 23%. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty big reduction. That's that's a big number. I know, mm. you know, sometimes when we talk about these things, you're like, all right, 23% lower risk of getting, you know, lung cancer. It's not really that much, but really, it is. If if your current risk factors for getting it, then hang on, mate. I lost you for a second there. Yeah, so cut out. Go, yeah. yeah. If if your current risk factors were forty percent, you know, if you were yes. able to put a percentage on it, then that mm. reduction is half. You're gonna half your chance. Yes. You know, like. Yeah, the numbers are big, even though they don't sound huge. That's pretty yeah, massive. And absolutely. To, to just eat more vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, mm-hmm. to reduce your risk by that much, yeah. it's pretty easy. It, it, well, yes, I would think so. It may not be for everyone, but you know, learning how to incorporate these cruciferous vegetables into your diet is part of what we do here. It's yes. teaching people how to cook with them, how to combine them with other vegetables and other fruits to get the most out of them. Yeah. So just taking one recipe that we talk about on the podcast and incorporating that each week, uh, you, you're going to be you know, moving in the right direction. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So another study in 2012 from the Department of Epidemiology uh, and the Institute of Pharmacology pharmacological research in Italy. Now, they had a look at the intake of cruciferous vegetables as well, 
and they were looking at it for uh, colorectal, breast, kidney, esophageal, 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 and oropharyngeal. So that's mouth and throat cancers. And again, it lowered it by about seventeen to twenty three percent. Man, they are that. That's impressive. Mm. Oh. Wow. Here's the impressive part. Okay. So it's actually a really common belief that there's a specific compound, which is called indolo-3-carbonyl, uh, and that's actually re- released into the human body when the, fu- the foods containing glucosinolate are digested. So when you munch up on the – so like when glucosinolates in cruciferous vegetables break down through being chewed or chopped, yep. they produce that compound – that encourages the elimination of carcinogens from the body. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So uh, that's not all cauliflower has. Cauliflower also has carotenoid, which we've spoken about in detail, and flavonoid Mm. antioxidants. Uh, Again, these are powerful antioxidants that help reduce the risk of serious illnesses. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about cancer, though, just now. Mm. So cruciferous vegetables like cauliflower are rich in plant-based compounds. We've just spoken about a couple of them before, but they're also rich in one that's called sulforaphane and indoles, which scientists think uh, reduce the risk of developing types of cancer. Okay, so more on the prevention side. Yes. Well, I mean, it's still reducing the risk, but this is reducing the risk of developing. So again... Antioxidants, we know what they do. They, you know, they yeah. shut down those free radicals. Yeah, that's really essentially what what all these things are trying to do. So there's been a lot of test tube and animal studies uh, that they've done on sulforaphane uh, that shows that it's particularly helpful in suppressing cancer um, by inhibiting enzymes that are involved in cancer and tumor growth. Mm-hmm. So there was a review a review published in the Advances of Experimental Medicine and Biology that looked at a lot of different studies that examined the link between consumption of cruciferous vegetables and cancer risk. And it found that of the case control studies, 64% showed an inverse association between consumption of one or more brassica vegetables and risk of cancer at various sites. Wow. Mm. So really not just isolated to cauliflower, although, no. you know, it's good on its own, but any of those cauliflower, kohlrabi, kale, Brussels sprouts, yeah. cabbage. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, sulforaphane is also associated with strong blood vessels and a reduced risk of cardiovascular disease. Uh, again, another review in 2015 published in Oxidative Medicine and Cellular Longevity found that sulforaphane's anti-inflammatory capabilities can help protect against hypertension, atherosclerosis, stroke, and myocardial infarction. Jeez. Mm, yeah. This just keeps getting better, doesn't it? I mean, we're talking about one cup of cauliflower. Like, mm-hmm. get it into you. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And um, there's many different ways. <laughs> exactly. 
Now, yeah. we're going to talk about something else now, another essential nutrient that is found in cauliflower. So cauliflower is actually really high in uh, kaolin as well. So spelt C-H-O-L-I-N-E. And it's an essential nutrient that many people are actually deficient in. Mm-hmm. So one cup of cauliflower has about 45 milligrams of kaolin. So to put that in perspective, uh, women's uh, intake, that, that 45 milligram represents about 11% of you know adequate intake for women and about 8% for men. Okay. So kaolin basically helps to maintain the integrity of cell membranes. It also synthesizes DNA and supports your metabolism. Not only that, it uh, is also involved in brain development and the production of neurotransmitters. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was heavily involved in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. It also uh, prevents cholesterol from accumulating in your liver. Wow. Yeah. So it'd be good with parsley because parsley is good there as well. mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And funnily enough, I've seen a lot of uh, Middle Eastern and Israeli food that is heavy on cauliflower with parsley yeah okay yeah so i don't know if they knew that but they're doing a good job Mm. so um again people who don't consume enough kaolin have a higher risk of liver heart disease they also have a higher risk of neurological disorders like dementia and alzheimer's yep now there's not a lot of foods that actually contain kaolin now, cauliflower and broccoli are one of the best plant-based sources for this particular nutrient. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Very cool. So I've just hit you with a whole lot of antioxidants yeah. with long, big names that probably will be difficult for people to remember. Uh, but I think the biggest takeout from this cauliflower episode for nutrition is one cup gives you a jam-packed amount of vitamins and minerals that are very essential to promoting a healthy body uh, and fighting off serious disease well it's basically a superfood and we Mm. you know we've got to change people's minds stop thinking about cauliflower as a, a zero nutrient nothing it's actually, I had no idea it was going to be this in-depth and it makes me so much more excited about the cheese, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like what uh, Sean and Grounded Foods are doing with cauliflower makes me super excited when I've read through all this nutrition. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what we need to know about cauliflower though, and this is about maintaining the nutrients and minerals. So Mm -hmm. uh, when cauliflower is boiled, it loses a percentage of all the nutrients, except for B12, um, because these vitamins and minerals actually leach into the cooking water. Now, we've spoken about uh, water-soluble vitamins and minerals Mm -hmm. before. So the minerals hold up to the heat a little better than the vitamins, but it still decreases. Uh, so boiling cauliflower still decreases your minerals by about five to 10%. Yep. Uh, steamed cauliflower retains a hundred percent. 
of the nutrients. Yeah, that's so interesting. Of, of sorry, of the minerals. Yep. Now, in terms of the vitamins, you will pour about ten to twenty percent of your vitamins down the drain when you pour when you boil cauliflower. Uh, whereas steaming, it still diminishes the same nutrients, but you only lose about five to ten percent, uh, rather than ten to twenty percent of your vitamins from that way. It's funny we because we we steam vegetables, um, not wasn't a lot before, but now that Hughes just started on solids, mm. we steam up a lot of vegetables for him mm-hmm. in the steamer, mm-hmm. and we always talk about the water that's left over, and we talk about it. We we always joke that it's vitamin water, but then we just tip it down the sink. It's like, mm-hmm. what, what do you do with that water? <laughs> pour it on your garden. I know. We should do something with it. You should definitely pour it on your garden. Mm. I mean, if nothing else, you're giving back to the earth, right? Yeah. And vitamins and minerals that you are, are leaching out of um, boiled or steamed. Taken up in the plants around them. and Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. So I definitely think that's the way to go. Yeah. But uh, look, that is the nutritional benefits, benefits of cauliflower. That was so impressive. I had no idea it was going to be that good. It just makes you want to eat it, right? It does. But do you know what's even better is how proud your mum is going to be of your pronunciation (laughs) during that whole segment. Thanks, mum. That was impressive, man. (laughs) You just rattled those (laughs) names off like you've been saying them forever. So Sean Quaid is one half of the dynamic duo together with Veronica Phil taking over the world of plant-based cheese through their company Grounded Foods. Uh, Sean's always pushed the boundaries with his cooking, starting as a pastry chef. Sean then boldly opened Lumet in South Melbourne before taking it to Two Hats. Uh, he won the Gort de Malay Chef of the Year in 2017, uh, while also being featured as a guest chef uh, on Australia's MasterChef for a pressure test, which I think sent all of the contestants a little bit crazy. Now, these days, Sean lives in LA and is redefining the future of plant-based cheese uh, through Grounded Foods. Thanks for being with us today, Sean. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hmm. Now, I, I think it's uh, probably good to mention that we have another Queenslander amongst our mitts here. So Simon and I both grew up in Brisbane. And uh, oh, wow. I was reading that you're from Toowoomba, so uh, it's good to have another Queenslander on board. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when I'm ever going to get back to Queensland. It's going to be a long time, but all my family's in Queensland, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, my family yeah. actually just moved to Toowoomba, so. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 I'm sure it's exactly the same as when I used to live there. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, a, it looks like it's really up and coming at the moment. Yeah. Well, it nice. should be. It always, it always had a huge amount of potential. I mean, it's a beautiful place to visit. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, Sean, it's no secret that cauliflower is the base of a number of cheeses that you've made. Have you or did you try uh, other vegetables and, and sort of what what kind of process did you go through to determine that cauliflower was the right choice? Yeah, so I went through... Um, it was quite a long process, to be honest. I originally started off making them with um, with potato, different types of potato. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I'm just trying to remember really why I started doing that. 
I mean, I, I started making the cheeses for, you know, just to, just to experimental purposes, you know, and, and mainly, you know, at the time we had the restaurant and I was always kind of playing with things at home and, and, you know, both at the restaurant at home, we had, you know, basically fermented and semi-fermented moldy things all over the house, which uh, drives everyone crazy, but, you know, <laughs> Sometimes out of that, something will something will grow um, that tastes nice. So it was just kind of like a little project that I was doing, and um, I started d- developing them. And then I actually brought some into the restaurant. And Simon, I remember you tried some. I did. I think I was lucky enough. So, yeah, I was lucky enough to try your uh, roquefort, which yeah, is uh, so blue cheese. I think that was made. That might have been a further version down the line. It was mm. uh, made from celery root, celeriac. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so originally potato and then celeriac and then I was playing around with sweet potato and, and all sorts of like different, uh, I guess, root vegetables that had um, a certain amount of starch in them, really nice mouthfeel. But I kind of got to the point where I was starting to make them on a regular basis and basically figured out that, you know, you're working with potatoes, you, you can't control the starch level. It's very hard. Um, and then always thinking in the back of my head, how we're going to scale this to make a business out of it. Mm. So um, I started looking around for other things and then cauliflower kind of popped into my head. I was like, always oh, my, it's my favorite uh, vegetable. That's interesting. Yep. Yeah. It just has a, a, a natural affinity for cheese. I mean, a lot of the flavor compounds, you know, there's kind of like sulfuric, flavor compounds that you get from like cooking cauliflower, which, you know, things out in your kitchen, but great for making cheese, great for making cheese, you know, that kind of sulfury, nutty, slightly sweet sort of flavor you get from cooking cauliflower is, is, you know, how you would describe it a really well-aged like Gruyere. So yeah, it made sense. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. Um, why was it important for you to make this plant-based cheese nut free? Uh, a number of reasons, to be honest. I mean, I first of all, nuts are hugely expensive and they're, they're not sustainable in any way from a cost point of view. And also when you're talking about real scale um, and just for a, a quick backstory, I mean, the reason that we started Grounded Foods, we're, we're not vegan ourselves. We're, I would say we're flexitarian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the ideal behind us doing that is, uh, you know, sustainability, you know, it's changing how we look at agriculture in not only Australia, but we're in the US now. So I think to make a, a, a real difference, it needs to be, um, you know, there needs to be products that come on the market that are accessible for everyday people. Yeah. And I think making something out of cashews or making something out of almonds, it, it's just that the, the cost is too large. Mm. Yeah, you know, there's, but, a, there's uh, a prohibitive cost there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, you know, they're, they're hugely destructive um, on the environment as well. So, I mean, that was a big thing for us. So yeah. I guess when I was in the test kitchen, you know, try, trying to come up with these recipes, that's what I was thinking about. So purely wanting to do something based on, on vegetables and also, um, you know, the, the, the products that are on the market at the moment that are made from nuts, they're, you know, they're, they're tasty. Some of them are really horrible. Some of them are actually really delicious, but... Mm-hmm. Are they convincing as a cheese substitute? I don't personally think so. Yeah. 
for me that I'm, I'm not a vegan, I wouldn't walk into a supermarket and buy something that's currently on the market and be like, oh, I'm going to have that instead of buying, you know, a regular piece of cheese because it just doesn't doesn't hit that same kind of flavor profile. It's not satisfying. Yeah, yeah okay. I mean, I, I'm sort of in that boat where I'm I'm not vegan but vegetarian. So cheese yeah. for me, you know, I could go a dairy-based cheese or a, a plant-based cheese and the, the plant-based version has to be really good for me to make one decision or the other. And I have been through and tried a lot of the kind of nut-based yeah. cheeses and, you know, yeah. Yeah, they are hit and miss and they are very expensive, yeah. Very expensive and they are hit and miss, as you say, and... Yeah. You know, I think we 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 kind of compare them to they're not so much cheeses; they're more like sour nut fudges. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I mean they're they're nice with like carrot sticks and celery, but you know, mm. would I put them on a cheese plate? No, because that sticks out like a sore thumb. So yeah, um, that's that, was, that was another big thing for me. You know, having a a background as a chef, you know, obviously. Um, you know, particularly from fine dining and, you know, doing a lot of R&D. It's not just about presentation. It's about the flavour and the texture and, and particularly with cheese, if you really think about it, what do people like about cheese? It's it's a real, like, sensory overload when you have a, a strong piece of cheese. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you're getting that kind of opiate effect, mm. which, you know, you definitely don't get from any sort of vegan cheese at the moment. So that was something else we worked on was getting that kind of like depth of flavour and lots of the yep. marmy, um, and trying to hit those kind of similar flavour notes that you get from from good cheese. Interesting. Mm. So um, I wanted to go into the sustainability uh, bit a bit more now that we're on the topic. I read that you were using kind of um, not, not necessarily waste product, but the way you source your cauliflower for your base ingredient. Can you tell me more about that process? Yeah, so we're, I mean, what we're calling it is basically ugly, ugly cauliflower. Yep. <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I think most people would be shocked to see how much food gets wasted before it actually arrives in the supermarket. You know, it's, it's absolutely crazy. I. <clears throat> I can't, I can't think of any numbers off the top of my head, but it's in like mm. the, the millions and millions of tons of food that gets wasted before it even hits the supermarket. So, yeah. um, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that food. It just gets basically wasted or it goes into, um, you know, it gets dug into the ground. So, mm. how, you know, how did you tap into that, that supply chain? It's actually just working. It, it's, it's no different to what we did at the restaurant when we had the restaurant. It, it's, it's, getting in contact with the farmers directly and kind of, you know, doing a bit of legwork and doing a bit of extra work to kind of, uh, you know, establish a relationship and just kind of say, say to them, it's like, Hey, you know, if you do this for us, can you, you know, can we get it at this price, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, cauliflower can actually be quite a labor intensive crop. Um, mm you know, the, the perfectly beautiful white heads that you see in the supermarket actually go through a, a huge process of um, mm. lots of manhandling to get it there. Mm. You know, individual heads are like wrapped up in their own leaves with rubber bands and just like completely unnecessary because as consumers, we, we, we know cauliflower is, this, you know, this brilliant tight white head. Mm. It's kind of left to its own devices. Um, it starts to, you know, the chlorophyll starts to develop and it starts to, you know, go more orange and then eventually green. So um, we're trying to develop a, 
you know, relationships with some farms over here where they'll grow things specifically for us. So very similar to how we did at the restaurant. Um, And, you know, then you have ultimate control over your supply chain because, you you know, you, you can control how the actual product is being grown. You're not just buying it in a, in a you know, a one-ton bag or a one-ton pallet. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, dropped cauliflower. So that's, I mean, to me, that's really exciting because, again, coming from a, a kitchen background and then figuring out how to actually scale this so each batch that we make is one ton. So we're making a ton of cheese at a time mm. as opposed to when I was making them Thermomix, I was doing, you know, 20, yeah. 20 individual wheels at a time. So there's a huge <laughs> difference. And, and uh, um, that's been quite interesting learning, learning how to actually do that. Yeah. So have you found any other challenges apart from scalability uh, with this process? Have you, have you found any other challenges with bringing a cauliflower-based cheese to market? Not so much with the cauliflower. It, it's more we, we did have issues with, um, you know, we're doing a lot of fermentation, mm. which when you're trying to do that on scale, on mass, can be quite difficult. Um, and especially, you know, for us, we're first-time, you know, manufacturers, I guess, mm. and, just kind of getting to know what's possible on, on scale. So that was kind of a challenge that we had to overcome, which we had a lot of help with and we've figured it out and we're kind of going through that process at the moment of dialing it in, how to do that. Mm. But, um, you know, I was, I was committed to not just making a cheese that was a bunch of ingredients that, you know, come in one door, you dump them in the top of a hopper, it gets cooked and then out it goes the other side. We wanted mm. to actually make something that's delicious, but good for you as well. You know, and there's, there's kind of no way of getting around having, you know, starches and, and um, being able to add, you know, like coconut oil. We've kind of played around with different other different oils, but yeah. at the end of the day that, you know, you, you're trying to replicate something that is, is basically magical. I mean, cheese is actually, it's like sourdough bread making. It's like uh, ice cream. Mm. There's all these kind of like magical components that are very, very <laughs> hard to replicate. When you're taking away that that core ingredient of like casein or gluten, or yeah. you know, it's. I, I think we're getting close, um, and there's other companies doing some amazing stuff as well. But uh, yes, yeah, scaling. I, I'm I'm really happy with what we're doing at the moment, and I think. Um, I think that's why people are excited about our products because they're, you know, when you, when you say, oh, we're making a, a cheese from cauliflower, mm. it sounds weird, but they think about it for five seconds and it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because mm. cauliflower is amazing with cheese. Like you, you know, have. Yeah. yeah, white cheese sauce. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So there's natural affinity there. So yeah. um, we've yes. had really good feedback. Yeah. It, well, it's interesting. I I read somewhere that uh, your first first round of cheeses sold out within about three minutes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We we. I mean, we've been fundraising for our company. We basically started our fundraising round as soon as COVID hit. So it's yeah. like awesome timing to be you know <laughs> kind of a startup. 
talking to people, we've done like a thousand Zoom meetings all over the world. It's just crazy. Um, and yes, it's been pretty challenging. Yeah. Pretty challenging. But at the same time, I think waves of people are shopping more online now. So it's probably easier to get people to click and buy something online maybe. Yeah, and I think we, we kind of have actually timed it quite well because we we hadn't actually outlaid too much capital mm-hmm. um, before all this hit. So we're actually in quite a good position to, you know, it's, it's a buyer's market for trying, yeah. to set up, for trying to set up a business. And, yeah, you're right, everyone's going online to do their shopping now. And particularly here in the US, I mean, there's so much convenience. Everything, you know, everyone buys everything on Amazon. You can mm-hmm. get anything want in two hours you know why why would you go to the shop mm. yeah. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, I was going to say Sean you, you you sound really passionate about the product I'm really interested you know you were talking about in your home having lots of things fermenting and you know a, a lot of things on the boil I'm really interested about that that the moment where you fermented a cheese and you thought this is it I've found I found the product that we're going to you know, you're going to change your life over. Basically, you know, you 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 move from being in a restaurant to producing a, a plant-based cheese. I'm really interested about that moment that you figured out that you'd done it and how and how that all played out. Um, I think that's probably more Veronica noticing that. <laughs> I, um, for me, originally, it was just something that I was playing with, yeah. and then she she's always kind of my ultimate taste tester. Um, uh, particularly in the restaurant days, I would get her to taste everything because more often than not, the staff would be just like, oh, yeah, chef, that's great, that's great. Mm-hmm. Whereas, she, you know, she's my wife. She's going to like, no, that tastes like shit. Do it again. <laughs> so, Veronica so, can be very honest like that. I like yeah, that about her. <laughs> very, very beneficial. Um, Absolutely. So when she tasted that for the first time and, and you know, realised there was no nuts in it and it's, you know, her marketing background, mm-hmm. Um, I think the the little light bulb went off above her head, and and she started rubbing her hands together. So that's kind of, that's kind of where it started from. And you know, it just kind of grew from there. We made a decision one day to actually just turn it into a business because we were originally going to do another restaurant in LA. Yep. This was going to be kind of like a side business, and we just decided to have a crack at, at doing the cheese because we we're actually getting a huge amount of interest from the cheese business. Yeah. Um, and then the products, I was kind of working on the products in the background, to be honest, there was never really like one single moment where I was just like, you know, Eureka, that's it. Right. I'm never happy with anything. (laughs) It's always good, right? You're, you're, you're kind of striving to, to always improve and make a better product. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, um, you know, again, having that background as a chef, um, you know, it's been quite interesting. We talked to a lot of. Uh, through the accelerator that we did recently, we, you know, we had access to a lot of mentors and, and some of them were food scientists. And, you know, that's quite an interesting field. Um, but I think it's quite obvious when products are developed solely by food scientists because they're, they're quite one-dimensional and boring. Mm-hmm. Sorry to shit on any food scientists that are listening, but um, <laughs> I think... I think the best products are developed by, you know, the, the left and right brain. You know, there's a very scientific method to developing a product that you can scale. But you also need to think about food is, food is sensual. It, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's triggering all those 
emotions and tastes and, and, you know, memories and imagination, all that sort of thing. So you need to hit all of those levels, not just, is it functional? It's like appealing at the same time, because if it's functional, but not appealing, it's not going to work and vice versa. If it's appealing, but it, you know, it doesn't melt. That doesn't make sense either. Yeah. Yeah. Was that one of the biggest things for you is like, does it melt like real cheese? I feel like that's a the test, one of the ultimate tests for plant-based cheeses. Yeah, that's quite an interesting thing to get around. I think our products, I've focused a lot more on mouthfeel and, and thinking about, again, it's very beneficial to have a restaurant background because, you know, you, you, you watch people eat, you know, you see how people interact with food. So... You know, everyone's obsessed with kind of getting this stretchy cheese. It's like people don't eat like that. People don't sit down and eat pizza and they're just like, oh, wow, look at this. This is fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Pick a piece of pizza up off the plate and the cheese strings run it down. That's yeah. only in ads, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's in ads. And that's not even cheese. It's glue. So, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, how, how do people eat pizza? People eat pizza when it's been out of the oven for 20 minutes. Yeah. You don't eat pizza out of the oven straight out of the oven because one, it's super dangerous. Mm. Um, and two, it's not practical. It's, you know, especially in a restaurant setting, it's probably like 10, 15 minutes before it hits your table. So mm-hmm. um, mouthfeel is super important, I think, and obviously taste and, and texture, but that that mouthfeel is what people respond to. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of like creamy dairiness, which is quite yeah. hard to get when you've, uh, when you're working with nut cheeses, there's always kind of like this slight grittiness to it. It's, it's pretty hard to, to grind down nuts to like this perfectly smooth paste. Yeah. It's, it's and it's quite hard. a process involved in that as well. Yeah. 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 The, the meltability, the functionality overall is, um, um, it's kind of really testing my, my chef superpowers at the moment because, mm. um, you know, going from, a, again, a restaurant background where you're cooking for 50 people to figuring out how to firstly make a product that you, you're doing like a, you know, a ton batch at a time and then how, how are going to people, how are people going to use this in a, in a home kitchen? Yeah. Because you're essentially, I'm essentially cooking now for other people to cook with that product. Yeah. Which is a different mindset now. So um, it's not making something and then serving it you know, two minutes later, it's making something, it gets packaged and then potentially six months later, someone buys it, takes it out and they're like, oh, I'm going to make lasagna now. Mm-hmm. So that's like, it's, it's like being on the dark side of the moon. It's trying to figure out how to do something that no one's done before. So yeah, it's very exciting for me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, um, just quickly run over what different types of cheeses have you created? Um, quite, quite a few, a okay. lot We've got about, uh, at last count, there's like 30 different cheeses that I've been working on. Wow. Obviously we have to go to market with one or two to start off with. We can't just, you know, flood the market with 30 cheeses. That's crazy. So, um, <laughs> we're starting off with the cream cheese and, uh, uh a marinated feta, like very similar to, um, Meredith dairies. Yep. Feta. We're making that from hemp seed. Mm, very nice. Yeah. That's very popular. 
And we're doing a cheese, a cheese sauce, which is, uh, you know, the, the fermented cauliflower. It's got a little bit of hemp in there as well. And, mm. yeah, feedback's been really good so far. So three products to start off with. And then next year we're doing, um, you know, the slices and the shreds. Yep. Which I'm kind of working so- on. I mean, on that topic, what, what does the future look like for grounded foods? Are you going to stay in the cheese market? Are you going to look at, you know, uh, some different plant bases that you can use? Or are you just really going to focus in on on this for a while and get it get it kind of solidified? I think we, we want to grow as quickly as possible. I think it's important. You know, we're a VC-backed company now, so our prerogative is to make a great product. But yeah. to get it out there, I mean, the U.S. is a huge market, which is why we're here. Um, you know, the population of California's alone is is larger than Australia and New Zealand put together. So mm. it made sense for us to come here and, and you know, try our luck, I guess. And, um, yeah, we, we want to stick to cheese at the moment. There's a, there's a huge amount of opportunity. Um, you know, all the big companies like Bell and Kraft, they're all kind of starting to try and pivot towards plant-based. Yeah. But they're huge multinational corporations and it's like trying to move the Titanic. Yeah, slow movers. Yep. Yeah. Whereas we're a startup, we can pivot very quickly and you know, we're already starting to get contacted by these companies to, you know, see what they what we can potentially do with them. So yeah. It's it's a huge space. I can't mm-hmm. see it um, you know, slowing down anytime soon, but there's always other ideas in the background. Absolutely. And we'd be looking Oh, sorry. Uh, will you be looking at any other plants to use for the cheeses or do you think you're you're set in on cauliflower and hemp at the moment? Um, I think cauliflower and hemp are very interesting to me because I've, I keep discovering new things about them, mm-hmm. particularly hemp. I think hemp's very underutilised. Yeah. It's still a bit scary to people. People still think that if they have hemp seeds, they're going to get high and... <laughs> you know yeah there's a, definitely a stigma about it yeah yeah and uh i, I think that's uh you know I'm, I'm super excited particularly about the hemp at the moment because it, it 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 adds it adds so much to our products and it's it's underutilized and we're kind of at the forefront of of really pushing it forward there's there's a few other companies in, in particularly in the u.s that are doing some cool stuff with it as well so I think it's a huge market that's kind of untapped. Like the CBD market has just exploded here. Yeah. So, you know, those hemp seeds need to be used for something. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for uh, being with us today, Sean. That was very insightful for both of us, I think. Yeah, I, I find it particularly fascinating, the the this additional use for cauliflower, you know, I remember when I read about cauliflower being used for pizza bases, it kind of blew my mind. And now we've got cheese and, you know, there's a heap of other things. So it's a very versatile plant. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about the leaves. The leaves are amazing as well, which we're also using. Oh, what are you doing with the leaves? Uh, so we, I can't, I can't tell you all the details because it's part of our, <laughs> our patented process. So I'd have to, you know, I'd have to throw myself on the sword if I gave away that, but, um, we're, we're doing a, a fermentation process that involves the leaves. The leaves are actually um, out of um, any sort of green leafy vegetable. They actually have the highest amount of calcium per 100 mm. grams. So, wow. 
Yeah, it's actually, I mean, they're, they're a superfood. You mm. think of berries and all that sort of thing, but cauliflowers are pretty amazing. Mm. Uh, so we're literally using the whole, the whole plant, not just the, the head. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. It's and kind of the first thing that people cut off. Yeah, exactly. And, and fun fact, the actual, the, the proper term for the, the white head is the curd, which is quite fitting for a cheese company. So. <laughs> Indeed it is. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, thanks again, Sean. And we look forward to watching Grounded Foods grow over the next couple of years. I'm sure you will be doing wonderful things. And for everyone out there who wants to give some support to Grounded Foods, you can't buy the cheese just yet, but that will be happening uh, towards the end of the year. But you can jump on Instagram and follow them there. We're going to put some links uh, to the profile on our Instagram account so you can get to it nice and easily. Yeah, so, I mean, I really found that, uh, re- like, super interesting what Sean's doing with cheese. It kind of mm. it blows my mind that he can he can turn this kind of weird-looking cauliflower thing into into cheese. And he's, Absolutely. I mean, he's clearly killing it. Like, Man, well, killing all the cauliflowers, yes, that is correct. <laughs> yeah, and he's, <laughs> he's uh, I, I don't know if it comes across in the interview, but he is super passionate about it as well. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely tell. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to try a lot of Sean's cooking before. Like I've been to uh, Restaurant Lumet in South Melbourne when he was when he was doing everything there. And we, we talk about the things that he's doing with uh, the cauliflower and cheese, but Sean is a, a master when it comes to cooking, just mm-hmm. in general. Uh, I've, I've had some just astounding things that he's developed. Like he made a, uh, an onion casing that went over the top of these smoked, uh, bits of broccoli, uh, stalk yeah. with, I remember you told me about this. Yeah. yeah. But they, they sat, he, he worked out that if you sit the onion and, and marinate it, or I can't remember exactly how he did it, but he cooked it for something like 18 hours. The whole middle of it, basically turns to to mush and comes out and when you're left with this shell that's edible mm. but it's like a hard shell that you can hide something in when you're cooking like it yeah. was he's a, he is phenomenal and uh you know i just really really excited i'm excited for plant-based cheese that he is working on it yeah 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 that's what i'm excited about he he's really trying to and he, he, you know, he said it in the interview. He he's really trying to imitate the way cheese kind of the mouth feel and the what that, that that kind of um, sensation you get and the the feeling and the romance behind eating cheese and trying to turn that into a plant based product is really interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, well, I mean, I, I really enjoyed that. But we yeah. get to talk about. I mean, I'm I'm excited for cooking with well, cauliflower. I mean, now coming off the back of that, I mean. How, how do you top it? <laughs> but well, you can't. I think this is impressive, right? Because my my experience with cauliflower is quite limited. I have, I do know of things that cauliflower are useful, but I haven't done them myself. But mm-hmm. my 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 experience is growing up. You had steamed cauliflower or boiled cauliflower, right? Yeah. 
And then in my life, I changed to, say, roasting it or char grilling it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's times where we have some sort of like white cheese sauce and bake it, that type mm-hmm. of situation. Mm-hmm. And really for me, that's like, that's that's it. Yeah. For me now, it's either steamed or we might we might uh, char grill it with some um, toasted nuts, like or some pepitas, some seeds or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it goes really well with those nutty type flavors. Yeah, um, and that's generally how I would eat it. But it's it's such a diverse uh, ingredient in the mm-hmm. kitchen, and I'm going to run through a bunch of different things that you can do with it, and it, it really opened my eyes. Some of them I knew about, but it really started to open my eyes about how much more I should be doing with cauliflower in the kitchen. Uh, so, you know, things, like I said, roasting the florets. Yes. You can you can use or you can create a dish that's like cauliflower rice so you can kind of turn into a ricey type substitute mm-hmm. for rice. Mm. Um, Which is very low-cal. Well, super low. I mean, compared to rice, it's completely yes. different. Rice is all carbohydrates and, yeah. you know, it's crazy. But then you've got... Uh, mashed cauliflower, which uh, we've done a bit in uh, some uh, zucchini and cauliflower kind of fritters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you mash it up uh, and then goes really well in soups. You can mm-hmm. deep fry it or, or, like I said, char grill it and deep fry the heads or, you know, make, make these uh, like nice little poppers and, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. Um, I read a recipe for cauliflower hash browns. So really, mm. from from this point, I was really starting to get the sense that uh, cauliflower is a good substitute where flour is used. So, mm. you know, hash browns, pizza bases. I read mm. a recipe for cauliflower garlic bread. So just mm. cauliflower and garlic and, you know, like really simple cauliflower what? waffles. Yeah, I know, right? I have bread, never heard of cauliflower garlic bread, but bread I made am from cauliflower. Super excited about that right now. I'll I'll dig up the recipe after this yes. and send it to you. Yeah, um, oh, that yeah. Just so sounds amazing. Hey, it was I'm really gluten free, man. So I'm I know. like, I'm, I'm loving all of this. <laughs> A substitute for flour? What'd you say there, boy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Man, cauliflower waffles. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, like I said, hash browns, pizza bases, mm-hmm. breads. So, mm-hmm. you know, I said cauliflower, garlic bread, but bread, uh, waffles. So really you can start kind of interchanging it where you've got these flour bases and that sort of thing. I'm not sure mm. how it would bake into a cake, but particularly in the cooked, you know, yeah. where you're cooking in a pan or something like that, it really starts to come into its own. If you, you use it to crumb things and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, mm-hmm. like, Super, super useful. And then uh, I was reading another recipe about uh, cauliflower hummus, mm-hmm. which I, that, that sounds cool. It, so coming off the back of the nutrition that you spoke about where we talked mm-hmm. about how amazing this product is, you yeah. start to look at what you can do in terms of cooking with it. And this thing is so diverse. Mm-hmm. There's just so much you can do with it. It's crazy. That's true. And I'm, I mean, my list is, it's on the general side. So when I talk about hash browns, it's like, what kind of hash browns? Or, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I talk about it later on, I think, where uh, we've got um, like cauliflower um, buns for a burger. Oh, so oh. You've, you've made the buns out of cauliflower. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I know. And, and, I didn't even and, think to do that. Yeah, so... Uh, 
bite-sized poppers, burger buns, quesadillas, cauliflower tater tots. So instead of using potato, you could turn cauliflower into tater tots. They're just, just like tater tots. Yeah, it just keeps going. I didn't going. even think about that. I, I, I could go, just go on forever. Like, oh you could gosh. just substitute it for so many different things. So it's, it's you know. And a lot of people have cauliflower steaks. Yes, yes. So you yeah. cut, cut, you know, whole head. I Actually, I had a cauliflower steak. I was eating in Melbourne CBD. It was along South Bank, along mm. the river, and the only vegetarian thing they had on the menu was a cauliflower steak. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it got this massive big piece of cauliflower. It was delicious. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. They did it. They and did now that you it. know all about the nutrition, it's probably like, oh damn, I'm gonna get that on the menu. Damn. That's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I didn't even talk about roasting a whole head of cauliflower. That's my favorite so, thing to do. I mean, I remember we did that uh, for the Messy Veggies Christmas. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you, you did a bit was. of maple and... Yeah, it had tamari on it with yeah. shallots and thyme and a whole bunch of other stuff, maple syrup to you yeah. know, really get that caramelization. Yeah, that was uh, delicious. Mm, yeah. And I've done one just recently as well where um, I just got some Nuttalex yeah. and basically melted Nuttalex and put it in the bottom of a bowl Mm. Then I got my cauliflower head and just rolled the head around in the butter to yep. coat the whole head of it. Yep. And then I just sprinkled. I've got a, a roasted veg salt yes. that, uh, from Arlo, which is a bakery cafe in Brighton in Victoria. And he makes his own roasted veg salt, which yeah. is, uh, man. Yeah. You've told it's, me about the salt. It's amazing. It's yeah. so amazing. So I just scatter that over the top of the thing and massage it into the head and I just chuck it in, chuck it in the oven. Yeah, nice. You know, 30 minutes later, take it out and it's like beautiful and soft and crispy on the outside and you just cut into it like it, yeah. it's amazing. I love roasted cauliflower, whole roasted cauliflower. It's yeah. it's so good. Yeah, I've, I've done it once where I, I took it out every, I can't remember, it was like 15 or 20 minutes and kind of basted it. Mm-hmm. Put it back in, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, know, I mean, like, you can love it, yeah, and you can make it real amazing, yeah. or you can be lazy and it'll still be amazing. So, you know, yeah. I'm a lazy cook sometimes, most yeah. of the time, uh, but sometimes when you really want to give it a bit of care and attention, you can turn a cauliflower into something very special. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we talked about it in a previous podcast, but uh, the the cauliflower and pumpkin hummus. So you turn mm. the pumpkin into a hummus, then you kind of, um, char, well, if yeah, char grill the cauliflower and add it with some mm. butter beans and cumin and coriander and and then some toasted pepitas on top, and then a heap of parsley and coriander. Oh man, it's so good. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, delicious. So and they're in season at the moment. Uh-huh. You can get whole heads of cauliflowers at the supermarket right now. We're we're recording this in July for anyone who's listening to this down the track, but they're two dollars fifty for a whole head of cauliflower. Yeah, it's crazy, right? It's amazing, man. Like it's it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I've said it a couple of times, but it's so versatile mm. and a really good ingredient to just have in your kitchen because. Yeah. How many times do you like, ah, oh, what can I substitute for this or what can I substitute for that? I mean, cauliflower is a pretty good substitute for a lot of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Substitute for flour, substitute for rice, substitute mm. for potato, you know. The, yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, really interesting what you can do with the cauliflower. And so I think the point, the point that I really want to make is uh, 
just get creative with it. You yeah. know, don't just don't just think of we said at the start, a zero calorie or zero nutrient, nothing plant. Mm. Think of it as nutritionally wonderful. Yeah. And then it's not just a boiled thing that you eat that's no, you know, had no. all the goodness leach out of it. You can turn it into some really amazing food. Absolutely. And I mean, you can get creative with it. I think cauliflower is quite unique in the way that it can take on other flavors really well mm-hmm. and also be quite neutral at times. Yep. Like you can let it speak for itself and it has its own flavor. But if you, you know, really add flavor to a cauliflower, it'll just take on those flavors really well. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's a really good thing about cauliflower. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, just on your flavor uh, comment, I want to talk about some pairings, right? Mm-hmm. And when I say some, there's actually quite a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm just – there's heaps. I'm going to go through them and we you know, <laughs> stop me if you want to talk about one, right, because there's a okay. lot to go through. Okay. So apples, asparagus, peppers or capsicums in Australia, mm-hmm. bok choy, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, carrots, celery, citrus, corn, garlic, lime, lemon, kale, mango, mushrooms. Mang- Stop. Yeah. Mango? Yeah. Mango yeah. and cauliflower. Didn't even ever think about that. No, I wouldn't have thought about it either. But I see for some reason I feel like cauliflower would be really nice as like a – like a sago kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a rice. You know, yeah. you say we can replace cauliflower with rice yeah. and having like a like a mango sago, like yeah. rice pudding that's yeah. got cauliflower instead of that. Yeah, I like where you're going with that because I was trying mm. to put it into a, a savory dish whereas you went with the sweet. So, yeah. Mm. But you could totally do it in a savory dish yeah. as well, like a, like a roasted kind of salad that has yeah. – Mango bursting through with yep. sweet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So mushrooms. <laughs> now it's all right. I mean, Derailed you. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even halfway through it yet. <laughs> yeah. You're only up M. They're not in order. This is actually the list is broken into categories of like produce and then herbs and spices and then okay, other okay. stuff, right? So okay. mushrooms, <laughs> olives, mm-hmm. onions, peas, potatoes. Pumpkin, sweet potato, spinach, squash, and tomato. So that's for the kind of like producey type stuff. Mm. So if we go into what what sort of herbs and spices it goes with, you've got uh, basil, bay leaf, cardamom, chevril, chives, cilantro or or you know coriander, cinnamon, cumin, dill. Garam masala. Now, I read a lot of Indian dishes. A bit of garam masala. Yeah, like we haven't even spoken about cauliflower in curries. Yeah, because they are. It's really good in curries. Yeah, goes Mm. goes particularly well with garam masala. I read Mm. a lot of stuff. Yeah, so chickpeas is in my list as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and so with garam masala, you've got ginger as well. So you know, good good curry. A lot of curries generally have ginger in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, marjoram, mint, mustard, nutmeg, oregano or oregano, depending on your persuasion. Paprika. <laughs> <laughs> 
Go mm. on. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why, but I've, I've kind of fallen on calling it oregano when most Australians <laughs> call it oregano, and I, I yeah. don't know why I always end up saying oregano. Because you're fancy. No, it's because I don't know. I watch too much American TV. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so paprika, parsley, saffron, tarragon, thyme, and turmeric. So that's Bloody kind of hell. your herbs and spices. And then we've got your kind of other category, which is nuts and things like that. So tofu, chickpeas, mm. most grains, pine nuts, walnuts, most of all your seeds. So, you know, I was talking about pepitas, your sunflower seeds, that sort of stuff. They all go really well. Rice, almonds, tahini, and the last one, which is quite funny, is wine. So... uh you know, you could probably cook up a cauliflower in some wine and, you know. I was going to say, yeah. braise it off in wine. That'd be yeah. delicious. How nice. Yeah. Good I mean, Lord. That, that pairing list is extensive. That is enormous. Yeah. So if you talk about, if you, <clears throat> if you go, if I'm going to go back to the start again, we talk about the different ways you can cook with it. Mm. And then we look at the different types of foods you can pair it with. It's you, the the only limit there is your imagination. Yes, yes, and I actually feel like that list promotes imagination and creativity. Does, yeah. yeah, like it would be really interesting to make your way through that list. It may take you a couple of years to do that because it's I'm, so extensive. You could just uh, Google like. I know. Two ingredients. So you could say cauliflower and something and then see yeah. what comes up and then say yeah. cauliflower and something and something and see what comes up. And like, Yeah. And then just create it. Yeah. Try it. See what you like. Yeah. I I am going to do that. Yeah. I'm cool. going to start doing that because I, I feel like there are a lot of combinations that we are missing out on. Yeah. Like yeah. if you play it safe with vegetables – you you may not experience it for what they are. Yeah. You know, and when I roast uh, roast cauliflower, I always always cover it in paprika. Always. Uh, yeah. It's just delicious. Mm. It's so nice. Yeah. I'm a big fan of adding it to curries. So I know that that's a, a big yep. thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, um so uh, to finish it off, I just wanted to talk about some serving ideas. Right? So mm-hmm, just different mm-hmm. ways of serving it up. Uh, so you can kind of um, top a hot-cooked cauliflower. We talked about basting it with nutlegs and that sort of thing. So melted butter and then a seasoning of like you you could kind of choose with your flavor profile. So you, you, melted butter, maybe chives, dill, nutmeg, bit of minced parsley or even just some like a fresh squeeze of lemon juice on the side mm-hmm. or roast it. Uh, some olive oil uh, and lots of we talked about for lots of kind of like toasted nuts and that sort of thing um, goes really well or you can just have it raw tossed in a salad um, kind of just gives that little crunch in a salad um, put it on top of uh, so roast some cauliflower and broccoli together with garam masala and olive oil so just mm-hmm. just really basic broccoli cauliflower Drizzle of olive oil, bit of garam masala, and uh, you know, cook that up. Or you know, we're talking about um, you know, I've got it 
he's not ready to try things that are more creative. Like, you know, our, our little boy's nearly seven months old, so just getting into solids, but we're still keeping it really basics. We're not adding mm. seasonings and that sort of thing. But as he gets older, you know, it does – we talked about kind of starts to take on flavors from other dishes. So you can kind mm-hmm. of start adding – you know, different spice and that's something it'll change the flavor of the cauliflower. So you can yeah. change the kind of seasonings you put it with to alter the flavor. Mm. And uh, yeah, we talked about pasta and um, pizza and that sort of thing. So you can kind of start substituting them out. And then, you know, we talked about Indian flavor. So you real classical mm. Indian flavors, cauliflower and, uh, you, you know, starting to play with cauliflower in Indian dishes. Yeah. Mm. Amazing, man. I did actually uh, read a recipe that I think I'm going to make this week. Well, actually, I read a recipe about some pomegranate. Um, it was like a pomegranate tabbouleh type thing, mm-hmm. right? which incorporates parsley, which we know is amazing for you, pomegranate, which yeah. is amazing for you, um, you know, a whole heap of nuts, uh, which we haven't yeah. done a whole heap of nuts, but, you know, I had a whole heap of that in it. But I am going to be putting raw cauliflower yeah. rice you just break it up it. and crumble it up and yeah. mix it through yeah that'd be amazing mix it through and have it with a lemon vinaigrette over the top yes uh, i think it'd just be it'd be amazing that'd be and good like how good would it be because you're not yeah. cooking anything any of it either so you're not losing any uh, vitamins or minerals there's nothing leaching out there's there's nothing happening it's just all in mm. the bowl so we're going to be making that this weekend so that's so good. Make sure you send me photos. Mm, I will. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting, man. I mean, it, it's it's oh, it's so good, man. That's 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 cooking. <laughs> Shall we talk about how to grow these? Wonderful vegetables. Yes. Okay. It's actually not too hard to grow. Very good. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> okay. So if you're going from seedlings, uh, basically what you want is them to be kind of moist. I mean, we talk about a lot of seedlings. They just need to be moist. They don't need to be wet. Uh, it needs sunlight. So cauliflower works really well in full sun. Uh, and you want these seedlings to grow to about seven centimeters before you start transplanting them into your garden bed. All right. So when you do put them over into your garden bed, you want them to be about 30 to 40 centimeters apart. So mm. cauliflowers, we know cauliflowers grow. The head grows to be about 15 to 20 centimeters in diameter. So having them 30 to 40 centimetres apart gives them enough growing space. Mm. Uh, Have you ever seen a cauliflower farm? Never. Never. Okay. So what we see of the cauliflower is basically a few of the leaves that are coming around Mm. the the top of the the head or it's actually called the curd, which you would have heard. Oh, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So – but what I think we neglect to realize is that when we pick up a cauliflower in the supermarket, the bottom leaves that look like they're growing out but they've all been chopped off, they're quite thick. Yeah, I just Googled yeah. it. So I'm looking okay. at it while you tell, talk to me about it. Yeah. So they are massive leaves. Yeah, they, they, they look huge. Yeah, 
They're absolutely yeah. monstrous. Okay, so that's why you want this space in the garden. Look how amazing they look. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's correct. It's so amazing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. So here's a couple of little tips with it. Yeah. Uh, when you are growing your cauliflower. Tim's keeps showing me <laughs> pictures of the cauliflower. Mate, I've done my research. Oh my I know God. what they look like. Stop showing me them. It actually it just looks impressive. It yeah. does. Well, wait for it, because I'm gonna tell you some really impressive things in just a second. This is my favorite growing one that I've done so far. Cool. But okay. So to help uh, to grow your cauliflower, make sure you don't plant them in a bed where you've grown cauliflowers or broccoli or cabbage in the past two years. Yeah, I think we spoke about that in broccoli, about making yeah. sure other brassicas. Yeah. Yes, yes, because yeah. they rip the nitrogen from the soil yeah. and they will leave everything. So you need some now, beans or legumes or something to yes, nitrogen can, fixes. Correct. You know yes. what's going on. Damn, I'm learning stuff, this, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you want to regularly water and that helps develop the head. Uh, and they, they actually recommend you planting early in the season. So you plant it. Uh, early in the season, warmer climates, and it gives them enough time to mature before the hot weather comes in. All right? Yep. Now, organic growing. You want to plant – now, there's a flower that farmers grow next to the crops. So in organic farms, and I was watching this really cool video on uh, growing cauliflower, and they were at an organic farm, and they – planted these sweet asims, alisim, oh, sweet Jesus. Uh, I was going I so spoke, well with my I pronunciation. Oh, no. They plant sweet alisims, mm -hmm. all right? And now these flowers attract ladybugs. Oh, yeah. And the ladybugs eat all the other pests that kind of corrupt yep. your cauliflower thing, all right? So a good nat natural pesticide. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. The other thing, so when your cauliflower reaches about the size of a tennis ball, uh, farmers generally gather the leaves, the largest leaves, and they bunch them over the top, and then they tie them together over the top of the cauliflower. Right. Yeah. So what you were showing me before with those pictures is basically the cauliflower head sitting in the middle and all these yeah. big leaves. Looks like, way it looks like it's the center of a really big flower. Yeah. Yes. We're perfect for a photo. Yeah. It's not how they grow them. Right. So they bunch up all of the the biggest leaves and do it over the top. So yep. the reason that they do that is to keep the cauliflower white. Ah, uh, so protecting it from the sun. Yes. So when uh, a cauliflower head is exposed to the sun, it actually turns yellow. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. Now, it maintains all the same nutrients, it has all the same flavor, but the yellow pigment isn't really something that we as consumers are used to yeah. and we don't really purchase that. So yeah. they tie it up so that they can get them as white as possible. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. Now, harvesting usually occurs when the cauliflower is about 15 to 20 centimetres wide. Now, this is a quick process. As soon as you see that your cauliflower is about 15 to 20 centimetres wide, you basically have to get it out of the ground yep. because in about two days after it's ready, it's going to start 
separating. The florets are going to start separating. Oh, okay. And it's going to show that, you know, that it's going to start blooming, like mm-hmm. the flowers that we're talking about. So you can always tell when a cauliflower has been harvested too late, and that's because there's separation. Separating. In the, yeah, okay. So you want it to be really tightly bundled together, 15 to 20 centimetres wide, and then just hack it out of the ground and mm. cut all the leaves off around it, and then you're ready to go. That's so cool. Yeah. So time frame. And here's like a little quick run over. So full sun. You want regular and deep watering. So you want to water right down. Yeah, so Uh, deep means making sure that it soaks right in, not just like a bunch of water that runs off the top. Yeah, that's right. And the most important part about that is that you have really good drainage in your soil because you can't leave the soil wet. That's not going to work. It needs to be deep watering, but it needs to stay moist and not wet. Yeah. So good drainage is essential. Uh, so the head or the curd, when it's about 15 to 20 centimeters, uh, it's going to take about 14 to 18 weeks to get to that stage. Yeah. Okay. It's not too long. No, not at all. So talking about three to four months Mm. to get your full cauliflower head. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. And they have different varieties that you can plant any time of the year. Yeah. Now, for us in Melbourne, again, we spoke about the cauliflowers being ready to harvest in the warmer months. Yeah. So we're leading into the right time to start planting cauliflower now. Wow, cool. So, you know, in the next, uh, I'd say, four to six weeks, you're probably looking to start planting your mm-hmm. cauliflower seeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is pretty much how you grow cauliflower. Man. That was that was amazing. The whole thing was amazing. Mm. I forgot. I really wanted to focus in on what Sean said about the curd and how, <laughs> uh, and I completely forgot to do it because I didn't put it in my notes. But that the white cauliflower, when it's in, mm. you know, it's commonly referred to as the curd. And in all the stuff I was reading, they were saying because it kind of resembles curdled milk and that sort of thing. So, mm. and it's just so funny that he's creating cheese. And, yeah. I know. I know. It's amazing, mm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. I loved it. Well, man, I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, that was totally unexpected. Yeah. But we say this every single week. <laughs> I know. I know. Completely so is that a, unexpected. Is that a product of our lack of knowledge? or? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I think it's a product of everyone's lack of knowledge. Yeah, we just yeah. – there's less focus on food, at, at least understanding – the food that we eat rather than, you know, you get told or you got the guidelines, eat your two and five or make mm-hmm. sure you, you know, eat a broad variety of colors and that sort of stuff. But yeah. Or have your orange juice for vitamin C, which, you know, we listen to the orange episode. We talk about why people, mm-hmm. you know, why that, that is the case. We say, have your uh, oranges for vitamin C and, mm. you know, it's like we, we just need to learn more about the food that we eat. Yes. Yeah. And, and then pass that information on. Mm, that is it, man. Share. Share the yep. knowledge. Yeah. You know, and you look, we are growing on Instagram like weekly. 
Oh, We're up amazing. another 300, I think, followers this week, yeah, which is so amazing. Good. So, yeah. look, I'm glad everyone's enjoying it. I hope you're getting enough uh, content from the Instagram account. We will do our best to put more and more things on there, but we cover a lot of it in the podcast, as you all know, because you're listening. Um, but... Uh, you know, we will we will keep putting stuff up there. We will keep showing you recipes. We will keep um, doing that. But share, I mm. suppose, is the big message. Share whatever you've done. If you create some of these recipes, we want to know about it. Tag yeah, us tag, in it. Tag us. Share yeah. photos. Share nutritional details. Put it to your story. Make people aware that, you know, vegetables are really good for you and this is why they're good for you. Mm. You know, and That's this is how you can do it. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, man, it's exciting. It's really good. And as you said, we're 18 episodes in and I am enjoying this thoroughly. Yeah, me too. It feels mm. like we've come such a long way too. Like I know. I'm just thinking back to those first episodes in my mm -hmm. mind and thinking about when I was reading the information and how uh, it's just, it's so different now. It's crazy. It is. Yep. I know. And it hasn't even really been that long. It hasn't. <laughs> That's it. We barely <laughs> Wait till we hit 300 and something uh, episodes, right? Yeah. And yeah. We'll, we'll have spoken about dragon fruit and durian and like all these exotic durian. vegetables and fruits. Durian's yeah. a contentious one. Yep. Mm, and jackfruit. I'm mm. looking forward to doing that one one day. But then we've got cacao and pineapples coming up soon. And anyway, so good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is this is a really good episode. I mean, we've got our first ever guest and cauliflower. What a way to start. I, know, that I loved just, it. Yeah. It was a good one. Really, really good. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, who's listened. We hope you liked it. We love your feedback. So, Please send us messages on Instagram. We do get back to them as soon as possible. We really like talking to you about uh, what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. uh, let us know if you like something. Let us know if you didn't like something. Let us know if we've pronounced something wrong. No, don't do that. We already know. So, <laughs> yeah. If you think we pronounced it wrong, we probably know it. <laughs> we definitely know it. And yeah. we, we knew it before we said it. Let's yep. be honest. Yep. Uh, but look, thank you so much. And thank you, Tim. Uh, until next week, I guess everyone should get out there and eat some more plants.